Hey, Westside family, Jake Gilbert here, one of the leaders in charge of our media department. Thanks for joining us for today's message. We hope you are blessed by what God has been speaking to us through our pastors and leaders, and we pray this leads you into an even more intimate relationship with Jesus. We love you guys, and enjoy. We've been talking about days of creation, not last week, but the week prior, and we're going to finish it up today. And just to kind of go over a tad bit of what we hit two weeks ago, day one, we see the we see uh, God divided the light from the darkness. He said, let there be light. There was light. Day two, we see that God divided the waters from the waters. On day three, we see that there was all kind of plants and seeds after its kind. And then that's where we stopped, stopped at. And today, we're going to start with uh, day four. And we're actually going to basically end at day six. And we might make mention of, of, of day seven. So let me go ahead and read. And we're going to kind of rush through the actual days. There's a couple places, places in there I'm going to stop and talk about. And, and we're going to actually look at what, we're going to kind of look at the origin, how God functioned and how life was in the midst of, of the beginning. So anyway, let me read you. I got a little bit to read, so bear with me. And God said, let there be light in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be signs and for seasons and for days and years. If you didn't know, this is where time began. If you ever wondered, where did time begin? It actually began right here on the fourth day. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the first, the fourth, excuse me, the fourth day. So there's just this little small section in here I want to hit before we move on. And it's the idea of what God himself did. The thought the idea and the truth that God himself set the sun and set the moon in place blows my mind. It's, for me, it is a reality check on really how big God is. So big that we truly cannot comprehend that he is a being that has the potential, the capability, and the size to place the sun where it is and to place the moon where it is. Verse 17, and God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. He's talking about the lesser and the greater, the moon and the sun. Just like I take this bottle of water and I set it in that position. Mind-boggling to me that God took the sun and he set it in position. For me, that creates a connecting point in a New Testament verse that teaches us that nothing is impossible through God. If God 
can take the moon and put it in a location and create a force for it to remain where he placed it. And if God can take the sun that has the energy to disintegrate anything that gets close, too close to it and put it in a position and it remains, it is a true testament of his ability to do anything that he so wishes or he so sovereignly sees fit that he needs to do, whether that be for himself or whether that be for you and I. Is God too weak to heal any disease? I don't think so. Is God too weak to change any circumstance? I don't think so. Is God too weak to not overcome and be victorious over the work of evil and darkness in the time in which we live? I don't think so. Because the God that can place the sun in his position and the God that can place the moon in his position and the God that can put the other planets that orbit such in their position is the God that can do anything that he needs to do. Amen? Look at someone and say, he's a big God. Let's move to the fifth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with the swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds. Now for the next three, two or three verses, I want you to pay attention to that phrase right there. That's what we're going to hit on next. According to their kinds. And every winged bird, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the sea, and, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. Moving right on to the sixth. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And so it was. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds. And everything that creeps on the ground according to their kinds, or its kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Two things that I want to make mention of here. The first one being, let us make man in our image. The term us is not a reference to God and angels. Angels do not have the creative power of God. But the term er, us 
references the triune existence of God. What is the triune existence of God? It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So we are made in the image and in the likeness of God. How is that so? There's numerous uh, ways, but a specific way is God is God, Father, Son, Spirit. We are mind, spirit, body, or spirit, soul, body, soul being the mind. Spirit being the life of God that he breathed into humanity when Adam was just a shell of a man lying in the garden. And the Bible says in chapter 2 that God breathed into his nostrils. That's when spirit came into man. That's why animals do not have a spirit. Animals were created by the voice of God. They did not receive life from the breath of God. So animals have a body and animals have a soul because we know animals have a mind that operates and works. That's why my dog will not get on the couch until I leave the house. And then when I come back, he's on the couch. And as soon as he sees me, he jumps off the couch and goes to his bed. Because that pain in the butt knows in his mind He shouldn't do that when daddy's home. But he does not have a spirit. God did not breathe into him his own breath. So we were made in the image and the likeness of God in the form of body, soul, and spirit. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Now what's very interesting is that when we begin to read about actual life forms that God created, after every life form, we, come across, we came across the phrase, according to their kind, or according to its kind. But yet, when it came to humanity, there was not a phrase that stated, according to its kind. Because man was not created based off of another kind that was already created. Man was created off of the one, from the one kind. The one and only kind. The God kind. So our kind is not a byproduct of another kind, but our kind is a byproduct of the one kind. There's only one God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There was none before him, and there will be no after him. He has always been, and he will always be. He is the one and only true kind. And you and I, in our mind, and in our body, and in our spirit, we was created off of that kind. He did not make one and then make another. He made, or he was, and he made us based off of who he is. God is our kind. And I don't relate to a monkey. I don't relate to a gorilla. I didn't come from the, 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 that primate kind. I came from a high-made kind. Amen? 
My ancestors didn't go, pick their booty, then put the finger in their mouth. My ancestors didn't do that. I like to hang from trees. When I was a kid, I was a climber. I claimed, I climbed, we have a lot of trees in Mississippi that you guys don't have here. I climbed a lot of trees, but that didn't mean I come from an inmate. I took one of those DNA tests. It says I have 305 traits of a Neanderthal. True. 90% higher than anybody else. That's why sometimes I just look at you and I scratch my head. I don't even know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to think. I'm like a freaking caveman. Excuse the vernacular. I'm just being stupid. I was just being stupid. I might act like a caveman sometimes, but I know where I come from. I come from the God kind. And don't you dare look at me and laugh and act like you all that in a bag of chips, because I know some of you come from a cave, look like, act like you come from a caveman too. God is our kind. We are made in his image and his likeness. Now, here's something that's so, 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 so cool. Because we were made in his image and his likeness, and because he is our kind, we have the ability to connect. We have the ability to speak. We have the ability to listen. We have the ability to hear. We were made so that we can be intimate with him. We were made so that our mind could wrap around his existence. We were made and we were, we, we, we were placed with his spirit in us so that we can have these spiritual moments with God. That's why the Bible teaches us that Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. That's why the Bible teaches us that God met with Moses as a man meets with a friend. That's why Jesus exemplified to us that you can walk with God and you can talk with God and you can be led by God and you can carry on the mantle of God and you can live by the righteousness of God and you can exist with the higher authority of God and you have authority over angels, the Bible says, authority over demons, the Bible says, the authority over circumstances. Why? Because we were made in his image and his likeness. I am more connected to God than I am connected to a monkey or any other creature in this world. I am made in the image and the likeness of God and I can hear him and I can feel him and I can talk with him and his power runs through my spirit and the blood of his son Jesus runs through the blood of my body because I'm a son of almighty God. You're a son of Almighty God. You're a daughter of Almighty God. You're a family of God because you've been made in the image and the likeness of him. You're not lesser than, even if you do have caveman traits. I hope that thing was just lying. I hope they stole my $70 and just was a bunch of bull. I don't make it. You know, one time... Here's a funny one. So uh, I spent about four months working at my dad's church several years ago. And there's this man, you know, rough, tough Missouri dude. And he walked up to me and he said, man, and I had a pretty thick beard at the time. He's like, man, you, you just got, and he's a biker. 
He's like, you just got the look, man. And I was like, yeah? He's like, yeah. He looked at me, and he's a big old dude. He's like, and he's looking down at me. He said, you got this Neanderthal look, man. <laughs> I didn't know what to say to that. I was like, huh, all right. I don't know if I, to him it was a compliment. So then I took that test and it says, you got 305 traits of a caveman. I'm like, that's where that Neanderthal look comes from. <laughs> Truth be told, I come from the barbarians of the greater northern part of Europe. That's what, I'm not a caveman. I come from the blood of barbarians. The Romans were scared of my kind. true and my kind loved tattoos and they loved war and they loved hunting and fishing apple don't fall far from the tree <laughs> let me get back on track not enough about me so something I am is a believer in origins When you look at the origin of humanity and the origin of creation, Genesis chapter 1 into Genesis chapter 2 before the fall, you really see a perfect example of how and what God created life for. The possibilities, and you get a, you really do get a, 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 a sense of a utopia a sense of a true nirvana in this garden experience, in this, in this experience of origins. And something that I've consistently gone back to is life in the beginning. As, 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 a, as a preacher, teacher, whatever, speaker of the Bible, I have found myself always going back to the origins of things because it's in the origin of things is when you truly, truly, truly see the will of God unadulterated. The will of God for his relationships with us. The will of God for humanity. The will of God for just life. Now, sometimes you have to dig a little bit deeper. But inside origins, the origins of our life, our existence, is you truly truly see the will of God. And this is what I've seen and this is what I've witnessed in life. The further one goes from origin, the more unhealthy, the more dysfunctional, and the more problematic people become. Because we were all created with this purpose, with this intention, in this certain environment, in a specific way that God intended for us to exist. And what happened is sin came in and it disrupted everything. It even forced humanity outside of this utopia, outside of this wonderful, perfect place. But what's very satisfying and, and exciting and joyful for me is what Christ did. 
when I look at especially the end of Jesus' life, I see nothing but a reinstatement of origin. So when you go back to origin, we, we, most of us know the story that Adam and Eve sinned. They failed. In very simple term, what they did is they succumbed to their own will as opposed to God's will. Because they ate what they wasn't supposed to eat. And it was a supernatural fruit. It wasn't a normal fruit. It was a supernatural fruit that created an enlightenment of, uh, of knowledge that they did not need to be enlightened by. But when you look at Jesus, Jesus did two things in a garden. Number one is he died to his will in the garden before death. Adam and Eve followed their will in the garden before death. Because after they sinned, they was cursed to death. And it was, of course, years down the road, but there was a, a death. But if you remember the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was saying, he was struggling with what he was about to do. And three times, and this is when he began to sweat blood, he was like, Father, if this cup could pass from me. Like he was asking God if there's any way out of this. Like if, if I could have my will, can you please make it happen? But then immediately, three times in a row, he was like, not my will or not my way, but your way. And this happened in a garden. And it, it, it's, it's very, it was very purposeful in, in, in happening. So what Jesus reinstated before death is an obedience to God's will. Now, when you dive into the New Testament, the New Testament, specifically the Apostle Paul, refers to Jesus as the second Adam. And I, I, I know I've taught this and I've said this, but it's so important in so many scriptural contexts. Jesus is referred to as the second Adam. The first Adam fell according to his own will which established an ongoing death for humanity on multiple levels. But now Jesus, the second Adam, found himself in a garden faced with a temptation to either do things God way, God's way or to do things his way. God's way that he had to die as a sacrifice for all of humanity. And Jesus died to his flesh obeyed the will of God, and he went through the process of death. And then Jesus died. And we see that he was placed in a tomb. And then the next time we come across an experience with Jesus is he was out of a tomb, but then he was in a garden. Again, a type of reinstatement as the second Adam. So the first time he was reinstating God's will, not his will. The second time he was reinstating the power of origins. He was reinstating access back into the garden of God. Why do we say that? Because on the cross when he died, the Bible teaches us that the veil of the temple was torn in two. Now the veil was covering up the place 
where priests had one-on-one interaction with God. But when that veil was torn in two, what it signified because of Jesus' death is that now there is access to the presence, the power, and the intimacy with God. And we don't have to go through a priest, a pastor, or any other faith leader that we have direct access to God. But when Jesus died and resurrected, and he resurrected in our garden, there was an absolute reinstatement of the blessings, the directives, and the origins of God that took place in the very beginning. Am I making sense this morning? So that's why for me, my mind constantly, always, 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 I don't necessarily focus on the Old Testament. I don't focus on the New Testament. I first and foremost focus on origin because origin leads my way. Origin teaches me what he means in certain areas of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And now there's seven things. I'm not going to preach on seven things, but I am going to read them to you. Don't worry, Lorana. Whenever I give a big number like that, she's like freaking out on the inside. There's seven things that we, there's, there's actually a lot more, but we're, we're not going to jump on that wagon. Seven distinct things, because seven is the number of perfection, and these are the primary things that we see was very important in origin. And if we live by them, we can find ourselves like Adam and Eve, walking with God, blessed by God, favored with God and blessed and favored and prosperous in this land. But if we move away from these points of origin, we can see ourselves not necessarily loved and not necessarily cursed by God. I don't believe God curses us right now because we're in an age of grace, but the curse is going to come when we enter into an age of judgment. According to the times we live in, could be pretty darn soon. But we do reap what we sow. So whether God judges or he doesn't, we reap what we sow. And if we do not sow the principles or the characteristics of origin, then we're not going to reap the benefits and the blessing of origin that God established for Adam and Eve. Does that make sense? So number one, God created man to be close to him. We were made to be close to God. And if we choose not to be close to God, then we mess, we mess ourselves up. You can read your Bible, and it doesn't mean you're close to God. Satanists knows the Bible. Some do. You can come to church, and it doesn't mean you're close to God. There's a lot of people that go to church, and they, 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 they yeah, they're not close to God. Being close to God, and Jesus made a way for us to be close to God. Number two, obedient to God. These go hand in hand. You can't really be close to God and not be obedient to him. A type of divide begins to occur. has nothing to do with him not loving us. It just doesn't work. What would happen if you was to consistently offend your wife or your husband? There would be a divide. There would be a division. There would be issues in the marriage. When we disobey God, there is an offense that occurs on our behalf toward God. And enough offense creates a pattern, establishes a practice. And he said in the New Testament that if we practice the flesh, which is the offense toward God, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, we will not be in a position to where we are close to God. So, going back to origin, we have to realize we were made to be close to God and we have to get close to God. Number two, 
We have to realize he is the head. His way is the only way. I am the truth, the way, and the life, the Bible says. So we have to realize we need to be obedient to God. I'm going to say this right here. I'm not going to be very popular saying this. God meant for there to be male and female marriages, not same-sex marriages. I'm not judging nobody. I'm definitely not speaking harsh against anybody because everybody sins and falls short of the glory of God. And I will put all the sin in the same context. But I will say this. When you go back to origin and you see the benefit and the blessing that came to humanity in origin, you will see that God intended for there to be a male and a female. This was God's original plan. Some of you ain't going to like this one. Number four, look at someone and say, eat your veggies. Now, we know that God instituted the consumption of meat. So I'm not, not preaching anything against this. But what we do know, 100%, is there is nutrition that comes from plants that you cannot get anywhere else. There are certain vitamins, there are certain uh, minerals, there are certain things that comes from plants that you, you don't get from meat, and you definitely don't get from this processed packaged junk that we so often live off of. You like that, Doc, didn't you? So, going back to origin, what, what is the way that we should eat? We should eat in a way to where our diet consists of a lot of veggies because it's just healthy for us. And I'm a living example. Some of you know, some of you don't know. I joke around about the vegetarian thing, you know, and we joke around about meat and all that kind of stuff. But for about five months straight, I went on a very strict vegetarian diet. Yeah, I had, uh, there's a couple times I felt very lethargic, and I think there was two times in there that I ate some, some, some ahi, which is yellowfin tuna. But I can honestly say things begin to change in my body. My knees stopped hurting. Acid reflu I haven't had acid reflux in probably a year. I don't get indigestion. There's things that has occurred in my body as they were when I was in my 20s, maybe early 30s. Now I'll tell you what happened. I had, there was Thanksgiving, we came up to Thanksgiving Day. And I was like, I'm just going to have a little bit of that smoked turkey breast. I ate a little bit of that smoked turkey breast. I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to have a little bit more of that smoked turkey breast. I ate a little bit more of that smoked turkey breast. And the next day I said, you know what? I think I'm going to have a little bit more smoked turkey breast. I'm going to eat mainly vegetables, but I'm going to have a little bit of that smoked turkey breast. That messed me up. Ever, ever since Thanksgiving, I've had to have that. So for me, my diet, for the most part, is a very plant-dominant diet. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm not bragging on myself. Please don't take that. I'm just telling you this because of how it has benefited me. It has helped me mentally, physically, in my health. Why? Because you go back to origin and God said, I've created every seed-bearing plant for you to eat for your good. going back to origin. It's God's way to maintain a certain level of health. 
I'm not telling you don't eat meat. My goodness, I, yeah. But I am telling you, consider how much of the natural stuff from the earth you are or not eating, and then kind of examine your body and, and be real and be honest with yourself. Okay, move on. I don't want to get on a, on, on, a, on a soapbox with that. Number five, take care of creation. God told Adam and Eve, take care of creation. Manage it. Lead it. Have dominion over it. It is our job to take care of our earth. If we do not take care of our earth, our earth will not be here for our future generations. We have to manage our earth. Manage wildlife. Manage the animals that we hunt and that we fish and how we raise and how we produce. Again, it's going back to origin. Don't we want a healthy life, a healthy world, a healthy creation? Don't we want to breathe clean air? Don't we want to see green trees? Don't we see, want to see beautiful yellow, orange, purple, red flowers? Don't we want to walk in the woods to where there's bears? Some of you may not, but I do. I think that's super cool. Don't you want to walk down a trail and know there's a snake behind the rock, Tom? We need to manage creation, going back to origin. This is what God told Adam and Eve. Number six, he told Adam and Eve to multiply, increase. In other words, establish families. It is our job. It is our role. It is a part of how God created us to reproduce and to have an established Godly families. Now, now, this is something very interesting. Cain and Abel knew to worship God. Now, we knew, we know it went south on, on a part of, uh, of Cain's heart. But what we also indirectly see is they were taught to worship. So what does that teach us? What does that indirectly show us? That Adam and Eve taught their children how to worship Yahweh. Adam and Eve, even in their... Oh, this is a good one for families. Moms and dads, hey, you're going to mess up sometimes. You're going to fail sometimes. That is not an excuse not to establish families that worship Jesus. Adam and Eve failed. They made a a, a big point of failure. But... They still taught their kids how to worship God. And they taught them a greater and a lesser means of worship. Cain knew he was not offering the best point of worship. Abel knew he was offering the best point of worship. The parents taught them. It is God's will for us to establish godly, righteous families. And then the last one is recognizing the enemy. We cannot be so ignorant and be so dumb in this day and age to not recognize the work of the enemy. How the enemy is working through relationships, through attitudes, through things that is watched and things that is listened to. If Eve would have truly recognized What that serpent was, or who was working through that serpent, 
maybe they would not have fallen. It is our job to recognize the enemy at work. When the enemy is working against husbands, when the enemy is working against wives, when the enemy is working against partners and children and friends, it is our job, it is a part of who we are, it's a part of our origin to recognize that is the work of the enemy. And I will not tolerate it. I will speak against it. I will rise against it. I will talk to my friends. I will talk to my spouse. I will talk to my kids. I will not allow it for me in my house. We shall serve the Lord. Amen. The seven points of origin. Close to God. Obedient to God. Male and female marriages. Eat your veggies. Take care of creation. Establish families that worship God. Recognize the enemy. If we live by all those, you can guarantee that you will be blessed by God, have an intimate relationship with God, and be used by God to be a light in this world. But falter on any of these, and there is going to be struggle. I mean, there's always a battle. I don't mean to make it sound that way. There's always going to be struggle. But there is going to be, there, it, there's just going to be issues that doesn't have to be if we was to obey. Amen? Thanks so much for joining us. We hope God spoke to you personally through this message and continues to encourage you throughout the coming weeks.